0: Welcome to Gateway. My name is Brian Dillon, and I am the campus minister at our Taze Valley campus, and uh, I just feel like we're in a moment this morning. I feel like God is trying to speak to us this morning uh, through this worship, and I just, uh, you know, I had a lot planned at the beginning of this, uh, but that worship was just incredible. I mean, uh, it was awesome, and they brought a violin out for Pete's sake. I mean, it is, uh, I feel like we're in a moment this morning, so I just want to step right into it. I hope that you will be receptive to whatever it is that God is saying to you this morning. I I hope you came this morning with a heart that is open, ready for him to speak to you this morning. Last week, we started off this Pray for One journey that we're on, and, and I really hope that you'll join with us in it. Because the truth is, if we are merely recipients of God's amazing grace, and it is an amazing grace that we are grateful for, then we are only truly half following Jesus. If we're only recipients, then we're only doing half of what he calls. And from everything I know about Jesus, well, he's pretty much an all or nothing guy. Cause, so we can't merely stop at being recipients of his grace We need to be participants as well. Jesus has commissioned each of us to make disciples, to go and make disciples. And that's part of what being a Christ follower is and what it looks like. Certainly, our sins are washed away by the blood of Jesus. And because he overcame the grave, we have an eternal hope. We will never forget that. We should never forget that. But we should also want to be sharing the good news with those that are lost. We have received it. Now let's be participants in sharing. it, And we should be praying for those that we cross paths with every day, maybe people that we interact with every day, somebody that God has in mind for you that you should be sharing the good news of his son Jesus with. And we can't just sit back and say, oh, somebody else will do it instead. Oh, let somebody else take care of it, because God is going to give you a name that you are responsible for. And the truth is if you say that somebody also do it, there's the, there's the risk that that person would never hear the good news of Jesus then. If we're going to truly pray for one, we should know the impact that it has, the responsibility that we have to share the gospel with that person. God has somebody just for you in mind. And so I hope you will join us on this journey. We're looking to reach the lost in a new way. We're looking to change our community by sharing the good news of Jesus. And so I hope you'll join us, ready to be amazed at what God can do when his people commit to praying for one another and intentionally sharing Jesus with those that don't know him. We started last week by being challenged by the Sermon on the Mount and how we view others and how we love and and pray for even our enemies. And the challenge then is to pray for everyone, even the folks that we don't want to run into at Kroger. Even the people that you avoid getting, you you decide that I'm not going to get ice cream this week because I don't want to risk going down that aisle and have to talk to that person. Sometimes that that will even drive us away from ice cream. That's how much we don't want to talk to people sometimes. You know, Dave mentioned last week that he might just start going to the Kroger and Taze Valley instead of the one over here, so he'd have to run into, into any of you all. And Well, I have taken up a different method. I just do all of my shopping at 10 p.m. when everybody's in bed. That way I don't have to risk seeing anybody. I don't have to deal with any of you. I just do my shopping and I can go home. That eliminates a lot of the people that I don't want to see, I don't want to interact with. Actually, last week somebody told me uh, something humbling, and they told me after the service that perhaps it's me that nobody wants to see. Maybe nobody wants to run into the preacher at Kroger, uh, and so maybe when I don't see anybody, they're just quicker at getting away from me than I know, and so, uh, and that's okay, I, I know, I know the truth, I know that y'all need Jesus, I know, and uh, that's why I am praying for everyone, because I know how all y'all really are, so uh, I just had to pray for everyone as a blanket statement, because uh, I know you, but last week we talked about a readiness, how we should pray for everyone in case they would be the one. This week, we want to talk about praying for any person who might come across our path through any given day or at any given time and any given situation. We want to talk about how we should pray for anyone. You know, sometimes we get so busy that we overlook countless opportunities to be a blessing to others or even to pray for others because we're on the way to somewhere else to take care of something else. We're trying to get something accomplished, we're in the middle of something, we can't be bothered, we're running late to somewhere, and we just don't have time for an interruption. We tend to forget that that someone may just be the one that God would have us pray for. We're so task-driven, destination-driven, so distracted in our own world that we often forget to even acknowledge those, even see those that we might meet along the way. I'm reminded of a video that went viral several years, ago, several years ago of an exercise called the monkey business illusion. And this video has been viewed over 12 and a half million times on YouTube. It, it shows six people, three in white shirts, three in black, passing balls back and forth. And the video, right from the very beginning, it tells you to count the amount of times that the people in the white shirts pass the ball back and forth, and so that is your focus. I'm going to watch the white shirts and see how many times they pass the ball back and forth, and as you're concentrating on that, actually in the background, there are several other things happening that you may or may not notice, and at the end, the video, it asks you, well, all right, so how many times did the people in the white shirts pass the ball back and forth. Now, the trick is that the people in the, there's people in Black shirts. they're also passing the ball back and forth. So in addition to all the things going on in the background, you're trying to, okay, that person passed that, okay. And so it's it's not that difficult, but like, it is kind of like a shell game type thing. Like, you know, you go to the ball game and it's like, where's the ball? It's under what helmet? And you have followed around and you feel like you've really accomplished something in life. When you go through, and it's the right one. So that's kind of what's going on here. You get to the end of the video and it's like, okay, how many times has it passed? Uh, I'll say this. And if you get it right, you're like, I I feel like I've done something today. I have accomplished this. But once they tell you how many times the ball has been passed, they start asking you some other questions. And it might seem a little strange to you because you may not have even noticed that what they're asking the question about even happened in the video. You're like, what are you talking about? That happened? I I didn't even see it happen. I was so focused on only the white shirts that I didn't even see it. Now I kind of wonder, this video has been viewed 12 and a half million times, I actually wonder if it's just 6.25 million people have watched it twice because they watched it through the first time and then they had to go back and watch it again. They're like, that happened? I I have to see this again. I I think maybe there's some number uh, fudging there going on. But you should go watch it this week. We're going to be talking about it in our small groups as well. You can just go to YouTube and look up the monkey business illusion. But don't do it now because there's audio. And if you start watching it now, well, we'll all know and look at you and laugh at you uh, if you start watching it right now. But this video, it attempts to prove that we, only, we often only see what we want to see. We only see what we are focused on. And I ask this question, what are we missing by being so focused on only one thing. What are we missing by only being focused on one thing? And it's, it's an interesting exercise, but really it's kind of convicting when you start scaling it out to your own life. What are we missing by only focusing on one thing? When we're so focused on getting in and out of the grocery store as fast as we can, or just getting to the airport gate at the last minute, or accomplishing whatever goal that you might be focused on, when that happens, we don't pay attention to anything else around us. Somebody might ask us a question, hey, did you see that? Or what happened in this situation? You go, I didn't even know that happened at all. In fact, a lot of times, anything that detracts us from our goal is usually viewed as an annoyance or or a nuisance uh, rather than an opportunity. They're just getting in our way. If you want to look at at evidence of how overscheduled we all are, just think about how often you are rushing to get to your next task. You don't have time to stop at the store or the park or anything else and talk to somebody. You don't have time for any distractions because I have to get to my next appointment. I'm already running late because I've crunched my schedule so much that I have not allowed any time in the margin as a result, we end up missing a lot of people along the way. We just miss them. We never even see them. We don't see people. We don't even see them because we don't have time for them. That's the blunt and honest truth. I don't have time for you right now. And as we follow Jesus and try to spread the gospel, well, that's a bit of an issue, isn't it? I think we can do better. Because we know that God wants to use us to make a difference in this world, starting with those around us. And there's no way to really do that if we're constantly rushing through our life with no purpose or no intention to share Jesus with the everyday people that we come across. To pray for anyone means to slow down and notice and see the people that God puts into your path. It means being intentional about each individual person, about anyone with whom your life intersects throughout the day. It means to take a moment, not necessarily 30 minutes, not an hour, just a moment to say a prayer for that person. Just take a moment to stand in the gap for them. And maybe it's the person at the drive through window or the receptionist behind the, the glass at your dentist office or the cashier at Sheets, or the pharmacist at Walgreens. Maybe it's the kid sitting alone at, at school or the, the new family that just moved into your neighborhood last week. Or it could be any other number of examples of people that we see or struggle to see every day, the people that we come into contact that we don't think much about. And what's convicted me in all of this is that these are people, these are children of God that we don't even see, we don't even notice, because we don't have time. But when we do this, just take that moment. Nobody has to know what you're doing. You just have to take a moment, a few seconds to smile and wave and, or share a kind word or share some food with them and say a prayer for them. If you have the opportunity, perhaps you could actually ask if there's anything that you could be praying for for them. And if we do this, if we're intentional about this, I think we'll discover that people are hungrier for this than we might realize. They're hungry for this type of interaction. Our focus verse this morning was from Ephesians 5, and the apostle Paul, Paul reminds us to look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. Because the days are evil. Friends, are we really making the best use of our time for the kingdom? Is there a kingdom intentionality to your daily routine? Where have you overbooked or overscheduled or overstretched yourself to the point that you don't even have time for the quick interactions? That's why we walk away from people in Kroger, because I don't have time for you right now. What's preventing you from truly seeing the people around you? If you have your Bible with you this morning, will you turn with me to Matthew chapter 8 and follow along with me? We're going to be going through some of the miracles that Jesus performed in his ministry and not look at them so much for what he did this morning, but more who he did it for. Now, it's interesting to look at the life of Jesus and see how many people he met on the way to somewhere else. As he was traveling to somewhere else, people would come to him or he would run into people somewhat... Seem like some might think they're random encounters. We know nothing's random with Jesus. But he was always on the way. He definitely had his share of anyone moments. So starting in Matthew chapter 8, right at at verse 1. As Jesus is coming down the mountain after preaching the sermon on the mount, he's met by a leper who says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus cleanses away his leprosy. Just a few verses later in verse 5, Jesus is going into Capernaum and a Roman centurion stops him to ask if he will heal his servant. Jesus says, I will come and heal him. At the end of chapter 8, Jesus crosses the Sea of Galilee with his disciples into the country of Gadarenes. As he steps off the boat, two demon-possessed men, they come out and they block his path into the city. They can't get past him. So Jesus cast out the demons and and, uh, cast the demons out of the men into a herd of piggies, and they went wee, wee, wee. Well, not all the way home, but they went somewhere. In Matthew 9, some men, while Jesus is teaching, they come and they lower their friend through the roof of the house. They have to be able to see Jesus, and Jesus stops his teaching and heals the man as Jesus leaves there, he calls on Matthew, the tax collector, the author of this gospel that we're reading, to, to follow him and become one of his disciples. As he's leaving the house, he says, Matthew, come with us. And as you look at the rest of chapter 9, section after, each section of Scripture, each miracle that we read about starts with something to the effect of, as they moved on from there, as he was along his way, and that was just from two chapters here in Matthew, each of the other gospel accounts, they tell other stories of how Jesus stopped on his way to somewhere else. Can you see a pattern here? It seems like a lot, if not most, of, of what Jesus did on his, during his time on this earth was when he was on his way to somewhere else or he was in the middle of doing something else. Jesus was a busy man. He had a short amount of time with a lot to do in that time. And he knew that he had to be intentional. Yet he never turned anybody away. I'm reminded of when, when the children come to Jesus, and they want to see him, and the disciples try to shoo him away. He's, this is the son of God. This guy's important. Get out of the way. He's got places to be. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Let him, let him come. Let the children come. That was always how Jesus was. He was never too busy to see those around him. Time after time and town after town, Jesus touched anyone with whom his path overlapped. And even as news spread of his miracles, more people started to come to him. They heard the, the, the news of the, the healings and all these other things, and, and they would come to him and bring people to him and say, Jesus, just, just let me touch you. Just let me be here with you. You can do this. And he never turned anybody away. He always saw them, and he healed them. It's almost as if these one moments became his normal method of sharing his father's love and power with the world. Because in Jesus' life, he didn't actually travel that far. The northernmost city of biblical Israel was Dan, and the southernmost is Beersheba. And those two cities, they're only separated by about 150 miles. And we, only, we know that Jesus really only traveled about 400 miles. That was the farthest distance he traveled in his life was 400 miles from home. And that was when he was you know, very young because his parents took him from Bethlehem to Egypt to protect him from King Herod. 150 miles. You and I can travel 150 miles in a day, no problem. You can go up I-79 up to Fairmont, or if you want some warmer weather, you can go down to uh, Whitfield Virginia, where you can get some cheap gas at the Flying J. If you prefer some real culture in your life, uh, as a Buckeye, I can tell you, you can go to Ohio, you can go to Columbus, and you can go to the Columbus Zoo, or you can go to Easton for some shopping, all within 150 miles. But most of the time, our daily lives are in a 30-mile radius. Maybe you have to drive a little farther to work. So let's just say you're within a 50-mile radius of your home. The point remains, whatever it is, the point remains, what's our hurry? Why are we always such, in such a hurry? Why don't we do a better job at noticing the any ones who cross our path? I want to go back to Matthew chapter 9 for some insight into how Jesus saw the any ones in his path. Matthew 9, starting with verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and, and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Friends, if we're going to capitalize on these anyone moments in our life, if we're going to effectively pray for anyone, we need to make some corrections to our spiritual eyesight. That means we need to see people where they are. Matthew says the people were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. the the Greek words for harassed and helpless can be translated as distressed and cast off. And sheep without a shepherd, well, they're just lost and directionless. They need somebody leading them. These people there that day, they were downtrodden and discouraged. And I think there are a lot of people like that today as well, don't you? They are down and out. They are discouraged and depressed without hope. Perhaps there are several in this room this morning that feel that way. COVID has done so much damage to our world, not just physically, but emotionally and mentally as well. And it seems like there's a lasting effect for some that have had the virus where you go through a, a period of depression and it changes your mental and emotional state as well. Even for those that don't experience that, or for those that never get the virus, prolonged isolation and separation from others, along with the added stress brought on by all of this, all that we have to deal with every single day, where it's just relentless, every day you wake up and it's still here and we're still dealing with it. All that added stress is just a recipe for disaster, for distress, and for hopelessness. I recently heard that sometime last year, the Japanese government, they created a new position called the Minister of Loneliness. And his job is to help lonely people make connections with other people. You know, the wearing of masks and social distancing and constantly staring at our phones, it, it creates a sense of loneliness among us. And sometimes, you know, we try to trick ourselves. We think, we think for a long time when we have so many people around us all the time and you just feel like you can't do what you want to do. Sometimes we, we convince ourselves that, man, life would be so much better if I could just have some time on my own, if I could just isolate myself from people and do what I want to do for a while without having to answer to anybody else. I just want some peace. I just want people to leave me alone. How much better would it be? Our selfishness, it rears its ugly head. And we think that isolating ourselves, man, that would be awesome. That sounds like the life for me if I could just be by myself. Except when you're forced to do that for days or for weeks or for months on end, and you realize, I think I actually do need some human contact and interaction. So you don't realize how much you need it until it's taken away from you without, even, without him even asking. This pandemic has had a little bit of a uh, be careful what you wish for feel to it. And it has left many of us distressed and discouraged. When Jesus saw the people there in Matthew 9, he, he had compassion for these people. The Greek word for compassion implies an aching feeling in your heart for something or for someone. This is more than just like, a oh, poor guy, I hope you feel better. This is something that forces you into action. When Jesus saw what these people were going through, they were harassed and helpless. When he saw the state they were in, there was something deep within him that forced him into action. It forced it drove him to say, the harvest is plentiful, my friends, but the laborers are few. He tells his disciples, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. These people, they are downcast. They need hope They need the light. They need something in their lives. They are hurting, and they need somebody to bring that hope to them. So let's pray earnestly that the Lord would send somebody to do that because they are in dire need of it right now. Jesus' compassion for the people around him caused him to tell the disciples to pray for them. This morning, as we read this, do we have a compassion within us those that we intersect with daily? Do we have that aching feeling in our heart for the people that we see that are hurting every single day? Do we even see them at all though? Are we uh, even allowing the time and the space for that to happen? Are we allowing room for compassion at all? As Christ followers, we have to stop focusing so much on our destination and start noticing the people that are around us every day. This is truly a journey is the destination moment. And the parable of the Good Samaritan, the two religious men, they didn't stop because they were too focused on where they were headed, on what they had to do next. And despite many of us knowing that story, we still join right in with the world and we fill our schedule to the brim. We don't allow ourselves to see the people lying along the side of the road. We don't allow ourselves to have any compassion because we just don't have time for it. Friends, many of us are living as the priest and the Levite every single day ignoring those around us because we don't have time for them. How can you pray for for anyone if you don't allow yourself to see anyone? As Christ followers, we want to look different from the world. We want the world to know that we are different and what we stand for and what we stand against. And, And so if we want to deviate from the world, if you want to take a stance on something, Let it be showing compassion for your fellow man, for those that you interact with every day. Let it be because you are willing to stop and pray for anyone. Because when I take the time to stop and really look at the people that I cross paths with, I'll be able to understand their situation. I'll be able to know their story and feel their pain. And that's when I'll have an opening to share the love of God with them. That's when I'll have an opening to pray for them. But first, we have to see people, to see people where they are. The other correction to our spiritual eyesight is we also need to see ourselves as partners on mission with Jesus. Jesus. Jesus has compassion for the crowd that day, and he tells the disciples to go and pray earnestly for them. The vibe I get from this section of Scripture is that the disciples, they they see the distress of the people, and it's overwhelming. They they just, what what can we do for them, Jesus? They're so hurting. What can we do here? Jesus simply tells them they need to pray earnestly because these people, they are ripe for the harvest. They are ready to hear about the love of God. Now we just need the workers to tell them. And if we are a distressed and discouraged people today, then it seems to me that we are also ripe for the harvest. There are people around us every single day yearning for Jesus. They are ripe for the harvest. People have seen this world change and crumble in imaginable ways in the last couple years. And if you all are anything like me, man, your soul, it just yearns for some peace right now tired of all the fighting about masks and restrictions and all the turmoil and disagreements about what we should do next and who the president should be and who's right and who's wrong and who's to blame for all of this. I just want some peace. You want to know something uh, interesting that that had this realization last week? My wife and I have been watching through the show, The West Wing, Uh, And if you don't know about it, it aired in the early 2000s, and it's about the president and his cabinet and just kind of what they do day to day. But here it is, we're 20 years later. And a lot of the, the the stuff the politicians argue about on that show are still things that we argue about today. And you know shows like this, it's like ripped from the headlines, like they try to keep it current and topical and then put it in the show and have them deal with it on there. And I watched that show, and I said, I said to my wife, this show could air today and be current in many ways. Like, you'd be like, oh, okay, yeah, this is what they're dealing with. That means our country has fought with each other and argued with each other, and we've torn each other apart for 20 years, and we've gone nowhere. We're still arguing over all the same things. It's kind of depressing, isn't it? no wonder we don't have any peace. We never get anywhere. We're we're like a hamster on a wheel. We just keep arguing about the same things over and over, and it never has any resolution. And I don't think that I'm the only one that's seeking peace this morning. I don't think I'm the only one whose soul is thirsting for the Lord. I think many of you in this room probably feel similar to me, and I think many outside this room feel the same way too. The difference is that those of us in this room we know who our hope is and we know who we should be following but the people outside this room they don't know they don't know they have a hope they don't know Jesus but they wish for something more than what this world is dishing out right now because the world is dish- is handing out a lot of bum cards the hands that have been dealt are not working out anymore People are angry and bitter because this world is letting them down. All that they've known in their life is letting them down now, and it's leaving them unsatisfied, and they don't know how to express it. Instead, I, get, and I start arguing with people. I, I, I get angry and bitter about things because I don't know how to tell you how I feel. I don't know how to get rid of this feeling in of me. And so I go onto social media, and I yell at people, and I post things, and I argue with people because I don't know how to express it. I think it'll make me feel better, but it actually just makes me feel worse. It gets me more angry and more bitter about things. The fields are ripe for harvest, my friends. And this is our purpose. This is why Jesus didn't immediately take us to heaven with him when we were saved. You might might have found yourself thinking, man, I just wish that I would be with Jesus right now because this world is evil and it's hard and there's just all kinds of arguing and people just don't get it. Why didn't you just take me when I was saved? But this is why. We are the laborers that Jesus told his disciples to pray for. We are on mission with those disciples and with Jesus to work in the harvest fields. We have been left here to work in the fields that are full of harassed and helpless people, lost souls in need of the good news of Jesus. We're not here to get somewhere. We're here to be a conduit of God's love and his grace and share it with anybody who would cross our path. And I understand that as you discover that this is your purpose in life, that you might feel a little bit overwhelmed. You may feel like, you, you, I can't be a conduit for just anybody that I meet. I can't be a conduit for just anyone that I meet. You might feel like you're unqualified. I don't know enough. I don't, I don't see enough people. I don't have enough interactions but if you're intentional about it, you can. Author and retired pastor Bob Russell, he recently wrote a story in his blog about a farmer who wrote to his son while he was in prison. So the son's in prison, his father writes to him, and he says, I've decided, son, not to plant potatoes this year. I can't plow the field without your help. And the son writes back and says, Dad, don't plow up the field. That's where I hid all the money that I stole. Well, the next day, the police, who regularly read the inmate's mail, they immediately dispatch a van load of officers out to the field to find this money. Oh, we got him. I can't believe he was dumb enough to write this in a letter. And they send out, they dispatch all these officers out there and they proceed to dig up the entire field. But they found nothing. The next day, the son wrote back, Dad, you can now plant the potatoes. That's the best I can do from here. (laughs) Russell says that sometimes we use our difficult circumstances as an excuse for giving up and doing nothing. We feel helpless, restricted by our poor environment or our limited opportunities or our meager talent. But it's amazing how much can be accomplished, even when disadvantaged, if we change our attitude, and use a little imagination and determination. You may sit here this morning and think, I'm not qualified, I, I, I just gave my life to Christ recently. Or I'm not qualified, I got too much sin in my, in my life. I got too much hate in my heart. I, I, I don't know enough of the Bible. I don't pray enough. See, there's a lot of not enoughs that we could all stack up. But here's the truth. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. So in that way, we are all on a level playing field. But we all have been saved so that we can share the good news of the gospel with others. And I believe if we change our attitude and use a little imagination and determination, we can do it. Because there's nothing that our God can't do. So it's time that we start seeing ourselves as partners on mission with Jesus. It's time to stop only being recipients of God's amazing grace and what an amazing grace it is. But it's time to start being participants and sharing his grace as well. If we were merely called to be recipients, he would have taken us to heaven with him when we were saved. But he has left us on this earth to be laborers for the harvest, to be participants in spreading the gospel. If you're only a recipient, then yeah, I think you're going to be miserable and you're going to lack joy because you're really just waiting around for the world to end. Okay, I've been saved. You can come back anytime, Jesus. I don't know what's taking so long, but I'm just stuck here now. Might I suggest that you would find more joy in your life if you chose to be a participant in sharing his grace and see how Jesus changes the hearts of those around you. It's a pretty cool way that God has structured this. It's the beauty of God that he allows us to be a part of us, that when we see life come into others, when we see people accept the life-giving truth of Jesus, it gives us life as well. Friends, we were never meant to be merely spectators. Our faith is meant to be living and and active, good news to be shared with others. James says that our faith without works is dead. Our faith, it needs to be exercised. We must be participants not just recipients. We have been filled with the Holy Spirit for a reason. There are people that we cross paths with every single day that need us to be praying earnestly for them. And so let us be intentional. Let us be purposeful about slowing down and taking the time to pray for anyone that we intersect with so that we can share the love of Jesus Christ with those that are seeking more than this world can offer. Friends, we read this story in Matthew chapter 9, and we see these harassed and helpless people, the downcast and the discouraged. We we see that, but we're living that. There are people around us every single day that are hurting, that are struggling, that are seen by no one, and so let our calling be as followers of Christ that we would stop and slow down and see those that nobody else sees. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we're so thankful that we can be here together. We're so thankful that we can worship you for all that you are, that we can learn from your word and we can just have a peace if only for a couple hours that we would be able to rest in your love and, and just think about how amazing your grace is. Father, this morning, I'm so thankful that while we were still sinners, you sent your son Jesus to save all of us. We are all sinners in need of a savior. We have all been separated because of our sin from you. But you sent your son Jesus to wash away all of our sin. He came and he knew what was required. He knew how bad it would be, and yet he still did it for each and every one of us. He still went to the cross and endured this painful death for each one of us so that all of our sin for all time would be washed away because you loved us so much, you sent him to die for us. But he overcame the world. He overcame death. He overcame this world. And so we know that anything that this world might throw at us, we can overcome because Jesus is with us. Father, though we know that this morning, and sometimes we struggle with that, there are so many in our communities that don't know that. And so right now they're just kind of hanging by a thread. They are downtrodden and downcast, they are harassed and helpless. And the fields are ripe for harvest. These people that we see every day, that we might walk by every day, that we might avoid every day, they are your children that need to know the life-saving truth of Jesus. And so this morning I pray that we would leave here with a different view, that we would, we would be willing to stop and pray for anyone that we, that we interact with every single day the people that we see, that we might not see. I pray that we would see them from here on out, and we would know that the field is right for harvest. I pray that we would be the laborers, that we would take on this responsibility, we would take on this charge to be the laborers for your fields so that more and more people could know who Jesus is and know the hope that he provides. This world is without hope in so many ways, but Jesus is the eternal hope that we have. I pray that we would share that with others. Father, we thank you so much for your love, that you would provide a way out of this world and all of its evil ways. I thank you for your son Jesus who overcame the grave and overcame death, that, that we know that we have that hope that extends beyond anything of this world. I thank you for your grace, not only that you've washed away all of our sins, but that you've allowed us to be a part of what you're doing in this world, that you allowed us to be a part of what you're building. And I'm just in awe of how amazing that is. I Thank you most of all for your son, Jesus, that he would go to the cross for each of us. I pray that we would look to share that with others as we go about our day. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.